0: It's Football Friday. Welcome to Across the Line. Today, we're speaking about a very important subject matter and one that has been at the forefront of uh, conversations all around the world right now uh, with the explosion of the Black Lives Matter movement in the United States. It has forced an interesting conversation at the dinner table, um, uh, the one about race. And uh, it's one that we tackle today and we have a very important guest on the program and one who is capable of really speaking about it in the context of football in the UK. Uh, just one an interesting one, Chris.
1: Yeah, Riz Raymond. Uh, Riz is involved with the Professional Footballers Association in the UK. Uh, the PFA are responsible for uh, looking after the players within all of the leagues in England. Uh, and one of these big things is, is talking about inclusion uh, within the game. His, his brother Zesh played for Pakistan. Um, you might be familiar with some of the uh, Philippine football public. Um, he played here in the Peace Cup a few years back. And um, his work with their charity, the Zesh Raymond Foundation, has done a lot of work to do with um, racism, uh, battling inequality uh, and trying to promote inclusion within the sport. So um, a great person to speak to on, on, on this subject and um, it gives us uh, a lot of insight into to what goes on behind the scenes in the work that's being done in the UK to try to eradicate racism in the game. Uh, and also some of his perspective Uh, on on racism and where it stands currently uh, within football in the
0: UK and not always the conventional thought process as well (laughs) so it's a lovely listen if you enjoy it please do subscribe to the show on YouTube Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and do reach out To uh, us on social media, we are very interested to hear your thoughts on this one. Uh, A large uh, takeaway from this one is is about having uh, the conversation about racism. And uh, we'd like to know your thoughts. Uh, Find us on Facebook, on uh, Instagram, and on Twitter. And that's it. Without further ado, we've got Riz Raymond on this Football Friday here on Across the Line. In the middle of a global pandemic, perhaps the subject matter only talked about more than COVID-19 itself has been the subject matter of racism. It's been uh, a a conversation that's being had all over the world. And with football being the most diverse game out there, popularly played around the world, um, we're having to really dive deep into that subject matter of racism. And we're lucky today to be able to speak with somebody who is fighting on the front lines in the United Kingdom. Uh, we have Riz Raymond on the program. Uh, Riz, how's it going?
2: Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm looking forward to you being being part of it.
0: Uh, Riz, of course, is uh, part of the uh, Professional Footballers Association. Uh, he is also uh, um, the chair of the Surrey County FA, and he's part of the Zesh Raymond Foundation. And he works a lot in with regards to the subject of inclusion. Okay. Being an Asian-looking fellow in the United Kingdom, racism perhaps <laughs> is a subject matter you are very familiar with, sir.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when we started this podcast, Gene, you know, one of the things we wanted to address, it wasn't just having interviews with players, but it was also trying to um, talk about some important issues that, um, that footballers might face, whether it be here in the Philippines or, or abroad, and racism was something that I experienced heavily. Um, growing up in, in the UK, um, particularly in the world of football. So um, it, it's a topic that I've wanted to discuss. It's something that I haven't really spoken about too openly. Um, and and in, in Riz, we've got someone who is is heavily involved with that aspect of the game. Um, people might be familiar with his brother, Zesh. Um, Zesh uh, was the captain of Pakistan, who, who scored his uh, his first ever international goal on these shores here in bacolod believe it or not. Um, Yes, he did. And um, he and I, uh, although didn't cross paths, were at the same club uh, in the UK um, at one point and uh, was, was, was renowned for being the first British-born Asian player to play in the Premier League. So, um, you know, I know Riz also has uh, you know, had his own f- footballing career and I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, for me, it's really important that we we delve into this subject matter because, you know, We have an obligation uh, as people involved with the football community to to educate the the Philippine football public and the broader public as a whole on on such issues. And and I think it's one that we should tackle head on uh, and and get someone on the show who has a lot of experience in this particular field.
2: Yeah, well, so basically um, at one point when I was 12, me and were both on trial, well, at Fulham. Then he he got taken on, you know, he got his contract and I was told I wasn't really good enough, got released. Then I went back to playing senior league football Then I got picked up by Brentford. So when I was there from basically 14 to 21, um, got a scholarship. My second year scholarship, I broke my leg. So that was actually took me back for a whole year, knocked me off. Um, And I sort of came back from that. Did well um, as a third year scholar sort of thing. Got my first year pro contract, but then I didn't really recover from that, to be honest. Right. Played a few reserve team games, enjoyed it. And then sort of came out of the game. And obviously having a passion for football, it was something on like which I knew I wanted to stay in, to be honest. So then I went down my coaching route, got my badges, and then sort of went to the work with Zeshi's um, foundation as well. You yeah. know, since Zesh came through back in 2004 as that first British Asian, he's still only been, he still is the only one to play in the Premier League. Um, well, so Hamza Chowdhury has now come through as well, but in terms yeah. of Pakistani full Asian heritage, Zeshi still remains the only one.
1: Yeah, I mean, we obviously, we had Neil Etheridge come through at Cardiff last year, um, Southeast Asian background, um, and and you know, for, for us, it was it was a huge deal when he came through and, and and made you know made strides in the Premier League last season. Obviously, playing back in the Championship now. Um, but what was it? What was it like for you growing up? Like as a as a, as a British Pakistani guy, like was it was was racism something that you experienced for, as, as a young kid?
2: You know what? We grew up in Birmingham, so obviously Birmingham was quite it was quite multicultural, quite diverse. Mm. But then when, you, when we were nine, my dad actually put us into a Saturday league. And what I realised was there was not many Asian kids playing football. They loved playing in the local park with their friends, but when it came to actually playing competitive Saturday Sunday league football, they just did not do it. And then we were quite good, actually, because we would play all the time. And then, But we would never, ever seem to get picked up by clubs for trials. So what we used to do was we used to actually write to clubs. So I think I wrote to clubs from Birmingham, I wrote for like Crystal Palace, yeah. West Ham. I wrote to pretty much every single club just asking for a trial. Yeah. And it just never really happened. So, um, but, you know, I played for my district there, did well. So I played for his district in Birmingham. But it's was only two Really, we came to London. So we left Birmingham, which was, like I said, quite multi-diverse. Then came to live in Surrey, Surbiton, uh, which is, again, you know, probably leafy. We were we, we were literally the only Asian kids in our school. And how old, how old
1: how, how old were you when you moved down to Surrey?
2: We were thirteen at the time. Especially okay, when I was fourteen. So I was moving into year nine. He's going to year eight. Right. And we were literally used to get chased home from school, get called a packy every day. Yeah. But then it was only until we actually started playing football and school trials that we sort of got respect from the guys because we we're good. We We both got made team captains, banging goals every week. And that way, we sort of made friends. But even playing Saturday League football, Sunday League football in ran Surrey, you would get the comments here and there, you know, but didn't really let it affect me. Just really get on with it. Yeah. But it's alarming now to think 20
1: years, years later that it's still happening, you know. It's not really good enough. Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll, we'll sort of come back onto that point a little bit later on. But, um, you know, obviously you, you're doing a lot of work now with, with the Zesh Raymond Foundation, um, and and one of your roles, obviously, is, is and also with the Surrey FA, is in, is trying to work on the inclusion aspect of 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 the of the football community. T- tell us a little bit about that that particular role and, and what that work entails.
2: Yeah. So back in 2010, Zesh, the charity the Zeshman Foundation, and when he set it up, it was never to get more Asian kids. You know, it was not looking for the next Wayne Rooney or Messi. It was literally to create pathways into football across all areas of the game for all, all young people. But because of our sort of background, it was natural that we were going to attract young people from the, from the Asian background, which were the most heavily underrepresented group um, across football. And I sort of loved doing that. You know, I did it voluntarily for the last five, six years. I still do it voluntarily now, to be fair. I just give my time to it. And we've, we got some funding from the Premier League and the PFA. We did a project called Sidelined to Sidelines which aim we upskilled 50 coaches and we got them jobs at clubs like Crystal Palace, QPR, Fulham, and seven, eight years on, some of these guys are now working full-time at clubs. So I've just sort of taken that work and my experience I've picked up into the Surrey FA. You know, Surrey, again, is is probably more diverse than it was 20 years ago, but in terms of grassroots football, competitive football, numbers are still relatively low in terms of the BME, you know, if you look at the coaches at the grassroots clubs and the managers and the players, they just, for some reason, the kids are just not progressing on from the goals playing recreationally to more competitive football. So I try and use my networks, my contacts to help build links for the Surrey FA, bring people in. Um, more of a facilitated, to be honest, but I enjoy the role
1: as well. And it gives me you know, good satisfaction to see more kids and people getting involved in the game. Yeah, so just just for everyone who's out there who's listening who don't know what that stands for the the BAME B A M E uh, Black Asian Minority Ethnic um, coaches players um, that that's something that has as that that sort of phrase has, has been really prominent, especially in the last sort of month or so, I would say. Um, and one of the reasons why it's, it's from, well, obviously the Black Lives Matter movement has, has sort of pushed this to the forefront um, a, a little bit more. What, what's your sort of current take on the current status, really, of of racism within the game in the UK?
2: You know what? It's it's moved on a lot since the terraces. You know, my dad he used to tell us a story back in the 80s when he was going to Villa Park and all the Paki bashing going on. Mm. But he always said to us that in the stands you always felt safe. Now, like I said, I only experienced it a few times growing up in the professional game. When I was at Brentford, probably a couple of times you hear comments, but I think the game has come a long way. But to think right now in the 20th century that we're in and that players are still getting racist messages across social media, fans in the stadiums, you know, the numbers in terms of the boards, the managers, um, they're still not representative on the pitch. Because in terms of the pitch, I think our membership is something like thirty to thirty-five percent Black, Asian, minority, and ethnic. So, them numbers just need to be effective off the pitch as well. You know, as they say, you can't be what you can't see. So that's a mantra I'm hearing quite a lot now. So, and you know, I I, I resonate with that as well because young Asian players they want to see players on the pitch who look like them. And if the parents, if the parents can see sort of people on the pitch or working in football um they're more likely to push their son or daughter towards that profession as well. You know what it's like in Asians, it's just do education, get yourself educated. Football was never really seen as a career, but Dr. Zafat Crystal Palace, first team doctor, worked at Tottenham, mm-hmm. uh, leighton Orient, uh, Crystal Palace, Liverpool. Mm-hmm. He's, had, he's had a great career as physios. Um, so it is something
1: which I think in terms of generations but start to change as well. That's something I really wanted to ask you Riz um because uh, we we have that same issue here actually in the Philippines uh and I'm sure it is quite quite um, broadly across a lot of the different asian um communities is the fact that an emphasis is placed on on education. So, you know, while football might provide you with some sort of physical outlet, it, it's not really perceived as a viable career option. Um is that true? Do you think still to this day is it improving? Uh, and and if so, what has led to that improvement, in your opinion? Yeah, well, I think education
2: should always be at the forefront. That's probably just part of our sort of culture. Because I remember again with Zesh and myself that if we did not do our math timetable, my dad would not let us out. You <laughs> know, what I mean, we, we could not play football; we were just not allowed. And that sort of discipline that we actually took into football as well. Now, with kids these days, I don't really see that. You know, it seems like education is not that important. They just want to be footballers. But clubs, academies, especially Cat One academies, Cat Two academies, um, they have to complete their education. You know, and the club's taking it more seriously and seriously as well. And like I said, in terms of the Asian community, I think it's important that you push education right to the top because otherwise football sort of takes over. And I see the young kids now that they get to 18, they're not done enough education and got their qualifications coming out of the game, mm. then they're then going back to the basics just to get their maths and English or GCSEs. And they sort of regret that. So you know working in education, I think education is the key. Make sure you get qualified in any, um, you know, career path where you take, but do, do the football side by side. So sort of getting that balance. But in terms mm. of the Asian community, again, I think it is changing. You are seeing more kids coming into, the academies now than you were probably, you know, five, 10 years ago. But for some reason, they're not getting that pro contract and really kicking on. They're getting to a certain level, they're for some reason coming out of the game. And that's the area
1: which we really got to try to um, uh, really get a grasp of. Yeah. Do you, do you have a feeling as to why that is? Like, obviously, like what, what you're saying there is the, the kids are in the academy system, they get to a certain point and they're not able to progress beyond, I'm guessing what you're saying, like a scholar or first-year pro, second-year program sort of break in and forge a bona fide career for themselves. Do, do you have an inkling as to why? I think
2: in terms of
1: players in general, and then talking about age players, I think you need the
2: right mentors around you. You know, Zescher's quite lucky when he's coming through the system at Fulham. He had the right people around him advising him you know, when to take the right line moves and something wasn't right for him.
1: Uh, he had that. And now... A lot of who, was that, who, was. That, who was that guy? Who was that guy for him, Riz? That guy for him was a guy called Otis Roberts, who's
2: Jason Roberts' uncle.
0: So, yes. obviously,
2: he, obviously yep. oh, uh, Jason was doing well at Wigan and Otis like a mentor. He used to take Zesh you know, on a, on his day off and go to Hammersmith and play in the Cages there with people like... Really? know, Williams and Rutledge yep. and all the you know, uh, Julian Gray. Yep. So these are lads who had careers in the game. So Zesh is in there playing with them. So what we try and do now is I've created a network. So the lads who are in the system now, so the young kids at Swansea, Villa, United, I'm just trying to build that network and make Zesh that sort of mentor for them. So their parents can call him, speak to him, and just create and give them the right advice and guidance. I think they need that because they get sidetracked by the social media, Instagram, and they start believing their own hype. So you need people just to strip it back down, bring them back down to earth, and letting them know the reality that it's not always going to be smooth, sailing. Like you, like, you know, you sell Chris. You know, but if someone doesn't tell you that, if people always just keep stroking your ego, you start to believe in your own hype. So myself and Serge were pretty much straight with
1: them. And I think parents uh, appreciate that as well. Yeah. Is, is there also an issue, do you think, within the representation? I know you sort of highlighted that... Um... In the earlier part of your answer do do you think that's a problem? perhaps not seeing you know as many you know asian representative representative players in the Premier League championship for example in in the in the coaching setups in the boardroom specifically, uh, and that, that that goes for for black for black um, board members, black managers as well, because there's that that's something that has 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 come to the forefront in in recent weeks as well. Is, is the, the lack of representation certainly at the managerial and board level? Do you, do you think that's also has an impact in terms of being able to bring these these uh, kids from ethnic minorities into the professional game?
2: You no, know it's a really weird one because when we were growing up, I don't really, there was no Asian players with people like Gaza Cantonar <laughs> they were our sort of heroes yeah you know I mean yeah, I wanted, I wanted yeah. to be like Cantonar and Paul Lynch, the way they played and Gerard there was I didn't really look at the Asian player oh, I can't see someone I can't be them that wasn't the sort of mentality that we had but I think the more and more we're hearing about racism in the game and the lack of represent underrepresentation and that same mantra about you can't see what you can't be what you can't see in a way I don't I don't think it's true you know what I mean? I think you can be wherever you want to be. You've got to put the hard work and get yourself qualified, network with the right people and not use that as an excuse. Do you know what I mean? Just, just because there's not enough um, boardroom members or managers, you go and be that person to do it, you know? Um, there may not be that role model there right now, but can you go and get the volunteering experience and network with the right people? And I think that's the game's all about. The game is all about networking, keeping yourself, in and around the right people saying the right things and saying, staying in touch with people as well. But again, they're the little things I don't think uh, players coming out of the game now sort of understand how to actually maintain them them networks, you know, picking the phone up. You know, if you know George Boateng, obviously played uh, in uh, Malaysia mm-hmm. at a great career, he, you know, he's, he's, he's guilty of it. He was saying Riz, you know, being someone who's played so many games, I find it hard to pick up the phone to someone and say, look, can I come in and have I look and I'm I will tell George all the time, you need to do that, you know. So it's just mentoring the players and giving them that the belief that they can actually be there. But yes, it's always great to see someone like yourself there um and aspire to be like them. But if there's if there's not, be that first like Zesh was, you know. Yeah. I, I don't see myself any different to anyone born and bred in England, I'll see myself as just British, being British, I don't look at my colour um, or make a fuss around it. I think other people tend to do that. Right, um, okay. But, you know, but we, just pretty me just our mindset, to be
1: fair. My dad, the way he brought us up, you know, it was just get on with it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's quite a unique mindset because obviously, like, I, I heard, for example, like that Ashley Cole, I think, came out recently and said... Um, you know, I think he used the example of Sol Campbell, like someone like Sol Campbell, you know, has is, is played at the highest level and you know, he, he can't get a job, a managerial job, but someone like Frank Lampard can. I think that was the quote. Um, I'm sort of paraphrasing here a little bit. And, and obviously yeah. the, the argument was that someone who's had a similar type of career, um, but one is unable to, to to get in at the highest level and one is, is, is obviously got, is now at Chelsea I mean, he's doing great things. Um, so you don't really subscribe to that narrative. You don't really subscribe to that line of thinking that, OK, because, you know, someone is of, uh, you know, someone's white versus, uh, you know, a minor, uh, someone from an ethnic minority, that they are able to get certain advantages over someone from an, a, a Bain background.
2: Well, we all, obviously, the, a lot of talk about white privilege, you know, and I've seen it firsthand as well. But I mean, like, in terms of Sol Campbell and Frank Lampard and Gerard obviously you hear that quite a lot. Yeah, you know, I know someone who worked closer with Gerard uh, when he's at Liverpool, and I asked him that same question. Obviously, Raheem mentioned the Gerard situation. What do you think? But no one knows what Gerard was doing behind the scenes yeah. leading up to retirement. He was out, you know, and he was on the evenings and doing the academy kids and coaching there. Obviously, France quite lucky. Obviously, his Dad's been, and his uncle's been obviously Harry been in the game. You know, you don't know when Lambs started thinking about his coaching badges. It might have been way years before he started doing his, um, you know, getting qualified and that, you know. Uh, so no one really knows what they're doing behind the scenes. But obviously, Frank, you know, players are signing for Frank because it's Frank Lampard, it's Steven Gerrard, you know. And I'm sure Sol's been doing a lot of great things as well leading up his retirement. But, um, yeah, you probably say it's probably not an even playing field. But when you do get the opportunity, you they've got to make the most of it. You know, sometimes players are fast-tracked. They want to be seen sitting at the helm, but who, I don't, I'm not sure who Soul did them the 12s, 30 and travelled around with the youth team to get that experience, you know? So I think it's hard to criticise someone to get in where they are just because they're white or someone's black or not there for a reason, whatever it is. I think everyone needs to just, um, you know, obviously keep working out, get yourself qualified and, and network with the right people. I think that's where probably we, I sat down for that time, not, we don't network enough.
0: It's it's quite interesting uh, listening to you to you speak about this um, issue on inclusion. It's almost as if there was, if if you could picture like a pendulum swinging. There was one time where all the the minorities did not get any opportunities. Now it's sort of swinging in the opposite direction, and now everybody is assuming that racism is responsible for the lack of opportunities. When you're saying that maybe it's not dotting your I's and and, and crossing your t's with regards to you know, your opportunities and maximizing them. So not everything can be blanketed around the the notion or issue of racism. Uh, There is a lot of lead work that um, individuals need to do regardless. Uh, The interesting thing to me is um, when I was growing up, it always felt like we were on the road towards racism being stamped out by the time I was this age, you know, in two decades time, Mm -hmm. it seems ridiculous that racism would still be an idea that persists to this day right but there it is you see it on social media and there's a lot of abuse that a lot of high profile individuals have have experienced over the last uh, few months even the last few years and i'm just curious to know like wh- what do you think is the reason why it still exists uh, until now and why it it persists even in the younger generations
2: there's obviously a lot of ignorance you know if you think when i'm thinking now about my dad when he's in the terraces back in the 80s, my dad's now 63, so a lot of the guys who are probably going and watching games at that time, they're probably, you know, in their late 50s, and they've got grandchildren now, and they're probably still got that same mindset, they don't like to see representation on the pitch, and they're going to have probably children from my age, and grandchildren younger, you know what I mean, and they're sort of like, probably still portraying that negativity around, Blacks and Asian and racism, you know, and if kids pick up what they hear at home, you know, if your dad or your grandma's saying you're going to pick that up and take it, I think it was like a 12-year-old who sort of sent a message to Wilfred uh, Zaha mm. on Instagram. Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, and that and that, that just says that that education starts at home, but I think now, in, the next, in 20 years' time, we don't want really to be sitting there and saying, you know, our kids are sending out these wild messages. So it starts with us now to ensure that... We educate the kids, and we talk about it at home, sitting on the sofa, watching TV, and we talk about why Black Lives Matters um, is prominent right now. Why are there a lack of Asians in the game? You know, why is Philippines football not really embracing um, uh, diversity? Why are there, Why is it the social economic disparities causing racism? I think kids need to learn learn this now. And kids are bright now. Kids are brighter than we were twenty odd years ago or thirty years ago. You know, i mean they they can actually absorb that information they've got access to online stuff and twitter they've all got Twitter, instagram they they see it you know so i think who are they following on instagram social media that's the kind of people they're going to shape them for the future so i think we got to get the right messaging out to them and as parents guardians you know coaches we need to really educate ourselves talk about I'm, you know i'm thinking i say to people now talk about it. let's start start the conversation because the more you talk about it the more confident you get around the whole issue of inequality diversity and inclusion you know pe- people talk about Qt and i'm not confident in not talking about that area i'm scared of saying the wrong things <laughs> you know but in terms of Surrey fa i brought someone in to talk to the group around it because i just want to educate myself around it as well and not be ignorant and i think people respect that as well if you just ask them am i saying that right is that can I say that? Mm-hmm. I think you get more respect that way, sort of you know, saying something and being ignorant um, to it. But you're right, Jing and Krishna. I just think it's mad that 20 years ago, things are happening, and now to this date that we're still getting these, um, you know, ignorance and racism across all levels of the game.
0: Yeah, it is, it is a bit bizarre, right, in 2020. So you're saying that, let's say, 2040, if if we do our job, if we do our part uh, in educating um, the youth today, th- there's still going to be some 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 grandparents out there, perhaps who have some backwards ways of thinking. Um, who's to say that that doesn't persist to one or two uh, who then have four or five children, uh, and it it continues the the process that has transpired over the last twenty years. Um, are you worried at all that that might that might be an issue or an outcome? Man,
2: I don't think it's ever gonna be perfect. Now my dad always says no five fingers are the same and no five fingers will ever be the same. So I think it's something in 20 years time is gonna still be there, but I'm hoping and praying and wishing that it's not as bad as it is right now. There has to be some sort of improvement. It's not as bad as it was 30 years ago. So it's improved. There's a lot more people doing a lot more great work around it. You know. Will it improve if we see more black coaches than black um, managers in the game or being me managing the game? I'm not sure. You know, but I know if I'm working out a certain, uh, if I've got some sort of influence in the game, I'll be ensuring that my workforce are going out there and getting, to, getting out the right messages. And that's what we re- really need. People need to come together, saying the right stuff, educating people. And in 20 years' time, we don't want it to be our kids, you know, being arrested and on the back media on the back pages for the for the wrong reasons
1: i think that's that's really interesting is what, what you're saying there T- totally agree i don't think it'll ever be fully eradicated racism i think that there will always be a subset of of the community of, of 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 society that will that will continue to have this this narrow-minded perspective and that's just the nature of of human beings i guess but you know i i think that's massive that we, we try to educate ourselves on, on a number of different issues, not just racism, um, you know, and we're all guilty of it, Gene. We're all guilty of it, you know, like use you know, being sort of casual with um, language around homosexuality, for example. Like, I mean, gr- growing up, you know, um, using the gay term for, for 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 anything that was bad, you know, uh, that was that in, certainly in my group of friends, like that, that would that was just something that would be readily used in everyday language. And now you look back at that and you think, oh, wow, that's horrific. I mean, it's, it's, it, to use that kind of language. Is is shocking, and and one of the things I want to cover here with you is 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 that whole kind of unconscious bias, because I think there's a lot of um, emphasis being placed on the overt racism. Obviously, when you see things that Wilfred Zaha has been receiving via Twitter, I mean it's it's there, it's in black and white, it's 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 as overt as it could possibly be. But there is definitely unconscious bias. Um, that occurs obviously within the broader society, but, but specifically in football. What What's your sort of take on that? And um, do you want to sort of explain how that, that manifests within the game?
2: Yeah, well, I think everyone sort of has those biases within them. I'll give you a quick story. When, again, when me and Sergio were eight and nine, my dad did his FA coaching badges. So he did his mm-hmm. FA Level 1. And the teacher at the time uh, was in his 60s, Colin Morrison. I should remember his name still. My dad asked the question to him, why are they not Asian players? And he said, number one, scared of the weather. Number two, got the wrong diet. Number three, your parents push towards education and not sport. He said, Riz, Zesh. By the way, we were only eight and nine then at the time. He said, Riz, Zesh, you're good players, but you will not make it. Your kids have got a better chance. Okay, they've got more chances making it. So if you said that to any eight and nine-year-old right now, they'll burst out in tears. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but we sort of use that as a motivational fuel, and i think those sort of misconceptions and stereotypes around asians have still sort of existed they've always um people have seen them as being small you know um parents again just don't want to put them towards football more, more education but they sort of broke that mold He was six foot three playing first in football and bullying players on the, on the pitch mm-hmm. Do you know what i mean
1: mm-hmm. and i
2: think Again, when we talk about unconscious bias, and so the report came out which the very involved in around commentary, and the look at the language used by commentators uh, across putting into five six leagues across Europe, mm-hmm. and some of the language when they used to describe from the black players um, wasn't really reflective of that person. So the whole point of that was, I think commentators are an important role here as well, because mm-hmm. if you're always just saying the player is just you know big, strong, quick, that just sort of sticks with him. You know, someone using the words like creative and imaginative, they don't really stick with that person when he comes out of the game. So those sort of conscious biases, I think, like I said, they exist in everyone, but it's challenging yourself as well. And, and you know, with, even with Asian families, like my nieces, right? My my sister married her husband's from um, Uganda, so my niece is a mix of so Pakistani and black, but if you thought that she said to my mum 20 years ago that my sister would marry someone who's not asian that would have gone knocked down really well course, <laughs> you know what I mean? but the society is changing and people are changing and i think once you start accepting that you know we all will have differences and it's just understanding those differences And that's where the word diversity comes in understanding those differences amongst each amongst each other then hopefully that you know you can start challenging your own biases and giving people the fair chance. Again, in the Premier League or Football League, I don't come across many players from Southeast Asia. You know? And maybe one or two. I think Sons, of, all of his sons from um, South, South Korea. Yeah. South Korea. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's not there's not many. You know, there's a couple in, i think there's one at QPR when I was there last year in the youth team, but there's not many at all. You know? And again, it's just changing those biases with the coaches and educating them. And that's what we do at the PFA, you know, we go in, we do workshops with the players around banter, um, you know, some of the language they use in the change room is not acceptable mm-hmm. off the pitch. And we remind them of their um, responsibilities as role models now. So when you were here, Chris, you know, 20 odd years ago, that environment and culture has completely changed, I would say, in and around the training ground
1: and with the, with the players as well. I hope so. I hope so. Because w- one of the things I'll, I want to mention in response to that, I think it's brilliant. The way you explained it was was brilliant. Um, like on, unconscious bias for me is really difficult because I look back at like my time, like when I was at Brighton, for example, and, and quite readily things like um, talking about black strikers, for example, um, never seen a slow one, never seen a smart one, would be a phrase that was sort of banded about quite readily. Um, you know, with the implication of all black strikers being fast and none of them being very smart, you know, which is, was ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. And we're talking like early 2000s here. Um, and, and that for me just, you know, at the time, it, it, and because it was so overt, it was so out there and it was, it was common language. I was there thinking at the time, I was like, wow, is this like a commonly held belief that all black strikers are quick and that they're not the smartest. And, and that for me really resonated because I, I I was quite shocked at the time. So you probably 16, 17 years of age, you think, wow, is that the, you know, is that, is that the, the image that's portrayed within the footballing world? And obviously these people, they're still involved in the game. You know, I, I think, I think they've probably been edged out over a period of time and hopefully their mindset and their belief system has changed. I, I, yeah, I hope so. But I, I certainly believe that that is the case with, um, with, with Asian players, I, I, to- I can totally resonate with that. With me, it was always, well, you know, as a, as a Southeast Asian player, I physically struggle, um, you know, uh, too lightweight. That was another one. Lightweight. That was, a, that was a comment that, that would um, that would be banded about quite a lot. I mean, you would have heard, heard it a lot with like Caribbean players, the same thing about, I don't like it in the cold weather, you know, which yeah. is, again, it, it's ridiculous. But, and I think while those, may, may, again, I haven't been involved in, in the pro game in, in the UK for a long time, so it's hard for me to comment. Um, but while those stigmas, I think maybe have have moved on, you know those people I know are still within the game. So whether their belief system has changed or you'd like to think so, you know in, in my mind, I'm thinking that that that's that in in their deepest recesses of their mind it's it, it's still somewhere there, and I, I totally agree. I read the report that Jason Lee put out um, by the p f a about um commentators, and it was so interesting to read that, you know how. Uh, black players or sort of dark skin players, wasn't it? I think that was that was that was their mode of um, breaking it down. But always associated with the physical element. It was the power. Uh, it was the pace. Uh, and yet, the uh, lighter skin players had predominantly more uh, attributes around intelligence and uh, around being able to um, um, hardworking. these these types of things. So it was it was really interesting that you brought it up because. I think unconscious bias, even more so maybe than the overt racism, I think that really is the thing that needs to be eradicated. I think that needs to be the thing that is um, is, is educated on. Because like you said, I mean, Zesh came in and he's a big bloke. He's a big, strong lad. But how many players have come through since that? You know, yeah. and, and of that typical mould. So I think, again, that's where it comes into that representation portion that may, that might make it quite difficult. Because if you aren't seeing that, uh, okay, if that that is the belief system of, well, you know, Asian players, slight, lightweight, don't like a tackle. Uh, by the way, those were things that I had problems with. So, you know, maybe maybe they were right with me. <laughs> um, um, but you know, it, until that mold is broken, until there is better representation, it's going to be very very difficult to to break that uh, that myth. If that makes sense, I don't know, I don't know what your take on that is, Riz.
2: Yeah, but I think like sort of Wenger sort of changed the game slightly when he came in. You know what I mean? Because he was signing players um, and Barcelona to some extent because mm-hmm. all the players are like below four foot nine. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. your Zavis and your Iniesta's and your Fabregas types. Yeah. Fabregas. So the players, I think the game has sort of changed. So now that's not really excusable excuse for, um, yeah. for managers not picking a certain player. And plus, in the Premier League, then, you got players from 140 odd different countries and that's yeah. how represented in the league. And it's a business. And I think now clubs are looking at the best players. So, again, when I'm talking to young players now and young Asian players about this or their parents, is I want them to stay away from that. There's no Asians in the game where they can't be or they can't see all that sort of stuff. So Look, You're British, you're a footballer, you're at a club and you're going to make it. You know what I mean? Mould yourself around a player that you want to be like. Make sure you behave properly, act properly, say good morning, bye-bye. You know what I mean? Talk properly to, to your coaches, work work the hardest and play each game train like it's your last game you know what i mean as well so i think the game has sort of changed and you're right them people you know you back in the day when you were there they probably are still in the game in some capacity still sort of making some decisions but i just think they've probably not been exposed to conversations like this you know mm. we had a conversation yesterday at work uh, around cultural awareness and jim hicks they've been in the pfa for a very long time head of coaching and he would just say, no, he's now to know, 17 years of the PFA. He was learning more about his colleagues. They were just talking about their cultural differences and what That's culture means to them. What does British culture mean to you? And that was the question that was thrown out of people, you know. Um, and it was, they would they, they were saying things like the monarchy, the social economic mm-hmm. groups, uh, background, class. That sort of stuck with people. So I think it's just challenging those talking about it and then that way, you've got to win people's hearts and minds ultimately to actually, you know, break down those barriers and break down the stigmas which they may ho- hold about. People from different communities, you know, refugees now a lot more in England, um, Eastern, Euro- communi- Eastern European communities. So I guess London, England, very, very diverse. But I mean, football, I don't think football will really discriminate. It shouldn't really discriminate because, you know, a lot of clubs now I know, academies, a lot of their academies up, so more BAME then, but you got still got more white coaches than black coaches. But mm-hmm. clubs are recognising that now. You know they want to have more black coaches in the game, working with the younger kids and females in the game, working with their boys as well, mm-hmm. which I think is important. But like you said, Jing, hopefully in twenty years' time, we can sit around this table again and say, you know what, it's come, it's, it's moved a long way. Um, but it's, we're gonna have to start doing. It. I think we've got to start doing. It. The ones who are passionate about it in the, in the game they're the ones that got to start making those uh, changes. And it's great to see people like Raheem Sterling and Rashford and all the lads talking about it. And to be fair to people like Kick, uh, Kick It Out, the PFA, Premier League, the kids have been empowered now to talk and they've got a voice, these lads. They've got millions of followers on their social media so they can get put things out then and they can actually make change. But like Rashford did with the free yeah. school meals. Yeah. You know, he's got a voice. Um it's important that we keep educating our young players from a young age maybe from 13 to 14 to talk about it you know and challenge their own parents and grandparents that's the only way Mm -hmm. it's really gonna move forward in my opinion
0: there's a couple things that that came to mind when you were speaking earlier and explaining certain things that have been transpiring uh in the environment of, of race in the uk and one thing that you mentioned earlier was that, you know, whatever words they threw at you and your brother when you were younger, they just sort of, you know, you dusted it off. It didn't really affect you, right? But uh, these days there's more of a culture of, of, of word banning, where basically like, you know, everybody's being policed about what comes out of their mouth. And, and more than tackling the, the root of racism, uh, which is sort of like, in my mind, it's like uh, a misguided sense of tribalism that that's being applied uh, incorrectly uh, by individuals and taken to the extreme. Um, How do you remove that idea from their psyche rather than just thinking more on, okay, I can't say this, I'm allowed to say that, but deep down, they still have that internal bias about that person being different, that person not being like me. And how do you remove that brute idea or uh, that mistaken sort of psyche uh, out of, Regular folk,
2: mate. Then they, they need some counselling, I think.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: nah, you know what? It's a good, that's a good, good thing that you brought out, Jing. You know, if, like, like I said to you, I think sometimes something that's are just going to be deep rooted in people. You hear a lot about systemic rape, um um racism, you know, at all levels of the game. And I think if you if you're that person, maybe they've gone past a certain age. You know, I've got I know people a bit older than myself who they saw things like. Um, Coloured, you know, use mm-hmm. language which then you can't use anymore, and they're, they're, but they're still using it. It doesn't mean they're racist. One of my neighbours, Eddie, you know, he's Irish in his 80s. Um, I remember he lived across the road from us, and he would look at me and say, Oh, you hey, little Packy, come here, you little Packy, in his Irish accent. But Eddie was a ledge, you know, but then as time went by, we used to educate him about why you can't say that and it sort of worked no he loves us you know my dad still speaks to him most days um he's got dementia now but i think when you win people's hearts and minds and you talk to them you actually share with them what it actually makes how it makes you feel uh, how it affects you personally your family Then people can really start to get you know get a sense of the impact of their words uh, their actions can have on individuals But again i don't think people are good at talking you know i don't really come when i was at Brentford, and you know you you never really had a voice you got bullied by the older lads um you never really had a voice you went on social media (laughs) you did what your parents said and i think that sort of just stuck with me throughout my career and for me growing up as a a person you know so i've already never really talked about issues like this or fact confidence talk about my feelings there's a lot more now about welfare and mental health in the game Mm -hmm. and people have a voice but again that's still a stigma which is you know it's like chris you're told just to just to get on with it mm-hmm. you know you are not really you don't really talk about it so we do a lot more that the pfa now to be honest around players welfare uh them having a voice talking to people talking to their, their friend talking to the pfa whoever it is just to get it get out of any frustrations that they have anything they want to share so i think people in the platform to talk and that's why i think in things like podcasts and things like this i've never really done them before but I think, it's, I think it's good, you know, just give people that voice and, and talking about it. And you can challenge them why they're thinking like that. Maybe they're, they're racist and we, they don't know they're racist. They don't know they're saying racist things. But let's just sit down with them and talk to them and educate them and share your feelings. I think that really helps in the, in, in, in the long term.
0: Yeah, um, what, how do you how do you say it? Civilized discourse. That's going to be the practice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, for for a lot of individuals here in the Philippines, actually, it's quite common to have an anti-Chinese rhetoric. Uh, that conversation coming up a lot lately, and sort of you know not very um, as out there as Western cultures. The the racism issue here in the Philippines, but quite recently, you're sort of getting a sniff of oh, I never knew that this person was racist. You know what I mean? Like everybody, he seems to say all the right words and says all the right things, but there's a hint of racism there when you start speaking about this particular minority that everybody seems to be okay uh, lashing out at, you know? And uh, you you get to see that. And I guess you're right, you know? Maybe it is just uh, uh, having an uncomfortable conversation and asking the right questions that would perhaps lead people towards a direction of a, a little bit more acceptance.
2: yeah. I think people are just not used to talking about it, you know. I'm not really used to talking about it as much. I'm obviously I'm exposed to it now to my role at the Surrey FA and my work at the PFA and through Zesh's foundation and I, I feel like I've got a responsibility to talk about it. Mm. You know, and I say to Zesh, you've got a responsibility to talk about it as well. And the players in the game, we all got a responsibility to talk and make sure that, you know, we're saying the right things and educating people around us and our own family members and our own children. Because ultimately, in the future, they're going to be the ones championing this work, you know, and fighting mm-hmm. for equalities across society in general, you know. But like I said as well, we said, like we've all agreed that it's never going to go away entirely. But if we can make small
1: improvements, I think that's a step in the right direction. I'm quite interested because Jing sort of touched upon it a little bit, and we talked about it off mic before we um, before we, we we hit the hit the button. It's in the Philippines, there is there is racism, and specifically in football, uh, a lot of the African guys who could have come over here um, have been the victim of it. You know, uh, and the N word, for example, is, is quite f- freely and readily used um, in, in in general society here. Um, obviously, in your work in in the UK, uh, has, has there been any sort of murmurings or talk about what it's like in other countries, like uh, or, or, what, or what is it like in, in Pakistan, for example? Are, are there are there issues surrounding racism in, in, in Pakistan, for example?
2: Yeah, I mean across Europe, probably across the world, there's probably racism in all football leagues and clubs and, you know, uh, governing bodies. Uh, we try and when players come over to England now, obviously we do a um, a player workshop. So we talk about we talk about language, we talk about the equalities that and we we tell them what's right and what's wrong, what they can say and what they can't say in mm-hmm. England. You know, I was working with a young player from he was from Argentina, and he was telling me the, when they used the word Negro in, in yeah. his country, that's just normal. like normal, it's normal, yeah. So
0: phone, it was it Suarez,
1: Suarez? Suarez got done for that, right? With, the, yeah. with, the, with, the, with every situation was, was using that language, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah it's right so in the that, Philippines, actually.
1: Yeah, I was
2: saying that. Nah, I think in the UK, we do a lot more of the players than when they come over here from different countries. And we do it on a regular basis, not just with the first-team players, but with the youth teams, with the younger age groups as well. So, like i said just about reminding them uh, about the law of the land in the uk the 2010 equalities act but in, in different countries the laws may be different maybe players are getting away and we're using derogatory language so it's um obviously it's not in england we take it very seriously but i can't really comment for other countries or pakistan and things like that cause i don't really go back there to be honest right um you know i've been out to watch Zeshis games out in malaysia Hong Kong, I've not really seen it. I've not really been out to the Philippines, so I can't, I get like, so I can't really comment. But players in education. Players want to be made sure that look, if they're going to Philippines, or other countries in Southeast Asia, that they're comfortable. you know. So just how, how seriously governing bodies and the leagues are out there, we want to take it.
0: I'm quite curious to know, how would you advise um, an individual, a football player who is moving abroad, let's say, uh, there's a lot of African players who play here in the Philippines, uh, uh, Koreans, Japanese players. Uh, When they come out abroad and perhaps are subjected to what they feel as if is racism, how do they deal with it? uh, What is the best uh, approach for them to utilize in order to uh, overcome such a situation?
2: I think if a player was going, let's say, from England to the Philippines, for example, I think that player needs to be made aware of what the culture is like, you know what I mean? So when he does go there, if he's going to sub- experience some, and be subject to racism from the fans or, you know, called the N-word, I think it's important that players are made aware of that. And then also um, what the club will do to help mitigate any racism towards him. You know, do the club just allow it to happen? Are the fans barred from matches? Are the clubs fined if they're using... Know racist language or players And i think i mean and his teammates again need to know a bit more about his culture as well you know why why if the word negro or whatever it is um is offensive to him so if it's all a big education piece that's needed and that's similar what we do in england so when players come over here we will speak to them as a group not individually but as a as a group and do we do, do the
1: workshops with them mm. That's brilliant. Like It's really interesting when um, the, when we were in the PFL here, so I was the head coach of the, of the team that um, uh, Gene works for, Kai FC. We had uh, a spate of incidents with one of our African guys and it got to the point where we as a group, as a collective, we had to say, right, if this happens again, we're going to walk off the pitch. Irrespective of the scoreline, irrespective of the game, irrespective of... You know, if this is the cup final, we're five and up and it's a minute to go. Are we going to walk off the pitch and forfeit the game, forfeit the forfeit the trophy? And the outcome was yes. So fortunately, it never got to that point. Um, but I, 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 I totally get where you're coming from. You've got to sit down, you've got to have those conversations and you've got to be prepared to, um, to stick to your guns. I think obviously the England one was the most sort of... Um, Recent one, I forget the game now is, but um, they had they had the the protocols that was laid out by um, by the by FIFA by UEFA, and then they they had the the strict because they knew that it was going to come, they knew that it was coming. and they obviously adhered to to the the protocols that um, was outlined by by UEFA. So yeah, I think that that's something that I think in our league and and actually throughout Southeast Asia and Asia in general, because I I think it happens quite readily. Um, I think those sort of conversations need to be had to ensure that it's eradicated, because I I do think it's it's it is overt, it, it is it is prominent in in certainly in the Southeast Asian game, and and it's something that needs to be stamped out because there's there's no place for it anywhere.
2: Yeah, and plus now players, if the club, if the clubs or the leagues don't call it out, the players will call it out, yeah, themselves, and across their social media networks, and people will pick up on that, you know. So I think it's in. I think that education piece, and uh, like I said again, having those difficult conversations, it, they need to be whether it's within the club, the club you're acting or uh, with the players. I think I think it's important, you know.
0: Listen, Riz, uh, it's almost time for you to get on out of here. Uh, we want to be respectful of your time. I know you're very busy uh, over there in the UK. Uh, we appreciate you having this conversation with us and, and, and sort of giving us an opportunity to dive into this subject matter, which is at the forefront of everybody's mind uh, as of the moment. And as I mentioned at the top, with, with football being so diverse, you know, it is something that needs to be tackled regardless of where you are around the world. There are going to be traveling South Americans. There's going to be, you know, uh, African players and, and mo- a lot of people from all over Asia now that are traveling the world and, and, and getting involved in places like the Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand, and, and and everywhere else. So it is a subject that is very, very important at the moment.
2: Yeah, no, thanks for having me. You know, like I said, I've traveled around Southeast Asia. I know how popular the game is there. And hopefully in the future, we can start seeing more Southeast Asian players coming over. In England, then you know, taking the Premier League by storm as well.
1: Riz, f- thank you so much for coming on. I, I found it extremely uh, cathartic and therapeutic in many ways. You know, like I'm, I'm looking at you, and I, I know your brother um, pretty well. And you know, there- there's always that element for me. And I look back, and uh, and and sometimes you question whether or not you know, maybe you're always looking for an excuse as a play. You know, well, oh, gosh, if I was a if I was a regular white guy, would I have made it? Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't have had to deal with the level of racism that I experienced. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had to dealt with that issue. And I think while, while for me, you know, it's an issue that I shouldn't have had to deal with. And it's something, it's a problem that um, I could have done without in order to maximize my potential to make it as a professional footballer in the UK. Essentially, you've got to look at yourself and say, look, okay, those that that was the hand that was dealt to you, and you just have to deal with it. You just have to deal with it. You know what I mean? Like, and I really yeah, I found that yeah. very refreshing that uh, and how the terms that you described it and the terms in which how your brother dealt with it, and obviously it came from from having a strong father figure, um, and and like you said, having good mentors around you to be able to sort of push through those barriers. Because I'm looking back and thinking I didn't have that mentor, and and in the end, what what I ended up doing myself was probably aligning myself with characters within the club that weren't best for my career moving forward, i.e. I- e players who probably didn't have a career in the game or players who were coming out of the game or mischievous players, you know, weren't that serious about trying to kick on in their careers. And, you know, I have to live with that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not looking for a cop-out, do you know what I mean? And, and, that's, and that's quite refreshing to, to have you say that because I think there are a lot of players, and you probably would have seen it yourself, who, you know, had I not been Indian, had I not been Pakistani, had I not been uh, Malaysian, I probably would have made it as a pro. And they use that as a... As, a, as a, a sort of a, a, a get out clause in, in, in the reason as to why they didn't make it, when essentially, you know, you just gotta look at yourself and go, Did I put the work in? You know, was I able to yeah. overcome the obstacles? Because everyone has obstacles. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's got problems, whether it's from you're from a social, you know, poor social economic background, lose a parent, lose a sibling, you know. Um, everyone's got issues, everyone's got problems. And and I and I've really found that refreshing that you just came on and, and spoke about it in those terms and been like, look. If that's the case, if you, if you don't see any representation, you've got to be that representation. And one of the books that I've read, Riz, I'm not sure if you've read it, is um, it's The Three Degrees. It's the book about uh, Brendan Batson, um, Laurie Cunningham, and Sue Regis, yeah. and about what they had to go through uh, coming through the ranks at, um, at West Brom, which is obviously not too far from your, where, where you grew up. And, you know, when you see this and read about the stuff that they had to go through, it's just unbelievable that the fact that they were able to perform at the level that they did and, and have the careers that they had. And and if those types of individuals can make it, then obviously, you know, you've got to look at yourself and say, well, okay, well, they went through a lot worse than probably what I did. So, yeah. you know, you know, there's, there's no excuses there. That, the, that, that responsibility lays solely on your feet. And um, I find that really refreshing to hear someone else talk about that because um, I think that's important because I think a lot of people growing up Probably of, of, of you know, from a minority background, will probably use that as a bit of a get out and as a bit of a cop yeah, out. I think
2: it's easy to use as an excuse and blaming everyone else. And so looking at yourself, really, what can I do better? What Who do I need to connect myself to? Who are the mentors out there can really help me to have a career in the game or be a coach or a manager or a physio or a doctor, or whatever it is? You know, get out there and get the experience, you know. And that's what people need to start doing, start looking for excuses because it's out in the media a lot more. You see it across your social network feeds and you start jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. You know, but yeah. be that first. If you two want to go out and have the best podcast in the world, you can do that. You know, you can reach out to people like you did to me. You know, stalking me at night, Chris, and sending me Instagram messages. So, that's it.
1: <laughs> that's, that's how I do it. i mate. My wife, my, my wife was a bit worried. You know what I mean? What's he doing? <laughs> like, who's, he, who's he DMing? But no, I really, I really appreciate it, Riz. Like, it, again, as I said at the beginning, it's a topic that isn't really discussed here. I think it's really important that we have that discussion. Uh, it's a hot topic, obviously, in the UK. Um, but no, your insights have been incredible. Like, f- Huge thanks for coming on. Really, really appreciate sure. it. And then, yeah, loads for us to, to share with our listeners, our viewers. It's, it's been brilliant. Thanks so much.
2: Rikid. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Jim. Catch you. See you both soon.
0: Uh, catch him on Twitter. Instagram? Yes. Riz Raymond. R-I-Z-R-E-H-M-A-A-N. Yes? Yes, all right, easily found on social media. If you want to interact with him, find him there. It's been enlightening, it's been cathartic, as uh, Chris said. And uh, we hope that all of you are inclined after listening to this or watching this to go on and have an uncomfortable conversation with a friend, a family member, or a colleague. All right, that was Riz Raymond, folks. If you enjoyed this conversation, Please do subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Look for us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. That's it for this Football Friday. We'll catch you on the next one.